all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. Well, February is American Heart Month. That's right. It's all about a healthy heart. While we've made major advances in the prevention and treatment of heart attack and stroke in the last 40 years, they still remain one of the leading causes of death in this country. And knowing what the risks are and starting early can be a key, a major key to early success in preventing these conditions. We're talking about heart health this morning on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and as usual, we'll be taking your calls during the hour concerning any issues or topics that you might have a question or comment about that are affecting you or your family, and uh, certainly heart health is a big one. Now, we don't tend to think about this enough in kids. In fact, a lot of people will say, well, why are we worried about that? I don't know a lot of kids that are having heart attacks or strokes, and you really have to know something about the uh, sort of the, the pathology of the disease and how it um, how it progresses over time. We're going to be talking about that in just a minute. Um, do want to uh, reach out about uh, flu. Uh, flu is still at an epidemic level. That's actually a level that they define by a certain number of cases. Uh, really hadn't seen this uh, this much flu in the last oh five or six years or so. Uh, but it's out there. I mean, it's it's um, really causing a lot of problems. There have been um, right at about eighty three or eighty four deaths uh, in pediatric patients. And in fact, the the one age group that's sort of spiking right now is between ages five and um, and twenty four years of age. So. Need to be aware of that. We're probably sort of leveling, leveling off a little bit. Although I would remind you that flu season, and there's a lot of different, you know, flu season used to be much shorter time period, but because of how easy it is to transmit flu across large populations with travel and all kinds of other things that we have these days, it's uh, now runs from about October first. Uh, through about the middle of May. So it's been extended a little bit. So we're still there. We've got a couple more months of it. And it, this is nothing to be trifled with. Flu A, which is the majority of cases, uh, uh, the majority of deaths come from that too. So about 74% of the deaths in pediatric uh, patients have been from that. But first, before we dive in to uh, heart health, let's go to a, a caller, Kay in Madison. Good morning, Kay. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Thank you for calling this morning. Um, I have a kind of like a double question. Um, I have a 16-year-old who plays um, football. Um, right now they're doing weights and, you know, muscle building. So my actual, like, question that's not like a comment is um, he's been um, complaining that he's he can't stretch his back out like he used to. He feels like he needs to go see a chiropractor or someone to 
kind of like get a kink out. And I wonder, is that normal or is that something that a chiropractor would do for a non-injury? And then my second question before I hang up is, um, how do you feel in general about a child that age being, I won't say pressured, but encouraged heavily to put on weight? And how fast should they do that that's considered healthy? Because he he's not overweight um, and he is very muscular, but I just feel like because of the pressures of high school football now, maybe they're asking kids to do things that aren't necessarily normal or healthy. So I'll just let you ask um, answer that when I hang up. Sure. Thank you, Kay. Wow, those are two excellent questions um, as they relate to teenagers and sort of the things that are are going on. So the first question, um, you know, a 16-year-old that's doing weight training and then has some problems with, uh, you know, not being able to stretch his back out. Um, Let's talk about weight training just for a second. So weight training is something, you know, in the last probably 30 or 40 years that uh, back when I was in, uh, in junior high and high school was just ramping up. Um, it is it is useful uh, to prevent a lot of the injuries in sports. That's not one of the things that I think people um, appreciate enough. However, it can be overused, just like anything. I mean, if you overtrain in, in one particular thing, uh, certainly you can you can do some some damage. And I'm I'm going to go ahead and assume that that uh, that Kay, that's a, a school system, a weight training program that's being. Uh, number one, overseen. You can't just throw a bunch of teenagers in the weight room. Uh, number one, it's going to be a war in there for before long. So you really have to monitor that and sort of know what you're doing about weight training. And there's different aspects of it that have to be that that have to be done correctly. Uh, proper technique and form are probably the biggest challenges in the weight room because not a whole lot of uh, you know, you may have some coaches that don't have a whole lot of uh, experience in that. Uh, we have in Mississippi, in most areas, uh, particularly, and you know, and I know we do in Madison, a lot of good sports medicine programs, and they are very interested in sending their trainers out to various schools. Uh, so you might inquire, you know, if the school has done that, and. One of the advantages to that is they can go out and actually watch these kids uh, as they work out to make sure they're doing things the right way. Uh, there's a, a certain volume of weight training that they need to do. It needs to be specific to the uh, activities that they're training for. In other words, you don't want somebody just maxing out all the time, seeing how much weight they can throw around. Um, so there's a lot of different aspects of it. And I'm assuming that that's done right. However, when you have kids that are involved in those programs, sometimes uh, they'll overtrain. And a, a good example of this is on social media. Everybody likes to post uh, every kid, I should say, or all the way up through uh, college athlete would like to post how much they can, you know, curl with their, their biceps, uh, you know, with dumbbell weights. Well, you know, if you do that all the time, yeah, you can you can throw around a lot of weight. But if you don't do a complementary muscle system, uh, things become over, over uh, or unbalanced. They become sort of lopsided in the way that you're training those muscles. So if you train one group of muscles and not the other, then you tend to, to lose that. One of the uh, neglected muscle groups is the core muscle group. So these are the abdominal muscles on the front. There's some on the sides uh, and then the back muscles. And sometimes in a weight training, you can, uh, again, neglect some of those muscle groups. And if you do that, you can end up with things 
things like back pain. So I'm just going to throw that out there. There may be some uh, overtraining in your son that has led to that. Now, uh, you you mentioned this wasn't really an injury, you know, that that a lot of people would consider an injury. I actually would. Anytime an athlete uh, that's in, uh, you know, currently involved in a 16 year old, back pain's not something that's, you know, particularly if it's persistent, there's probably something going on there that should be looked at. Chiropractors are great in um, in, in myofascial techniques. Also, uh, are good for alleviation of pain. However, I I would uh, honestly I think I would send this guy to uh, a sports medicine group that they can look at him. They could have a physical therapist do some uh, do some testing on him to see what his actual um, uh, it, how limber he is and how much you know that he's got full range of motion in those in those joints. Even if you become stronger, if you lose the range of motion, that's putting that that um, that actual arm leg. Uh, body through all the natural motions, if you start to lose some of that range of motion, uh, you actually lose a lot of strength with that too. So I would get him in to see sports medicine group and they've got a couple right there in Madison that you can go see uh, that are very good about um, uh, diagnosing these kinds of things. So that's, that's the first question. So, you know, if he's losing the amount of stretching in his back, he probably needs to be seen before going to a chiropractor. Now, certainly, you know, if they say that's, hey, that's okay, that, that would be a good modality, uh, depending on what's going on, that's fine. The putting on weight question is one that I hear uh, often. Uh, and again, some of that's a misconception. So um, a lot of sports, uh, you know, weight certainly factors into what you can do. However, just because you gain weight doesn't mean that you're necessarily stronger or faster. Uh, If you look at world-class athletes, and actually we've got an excellent example going on right now. We've got all these athletes uh, in in South Korea that are competing. Uh, We had a guy last night that won doing some crazy stuff on skis and the half pipe. Uh, And the guy who won, I think his name is Wise is his last name, uh, you know, if you're just looking at him, you would think, uh, you know, he doesn't look like he's really bulked up. Well, a guy can can uh, do a leg press where you're sitting down and pressing a plate that's attached to some weights. He can he can press 600 pounds, uh, and that's to help him with his the specifics of what's going on. But you got to train smart, and putting on weight, uh, and, you know, a lot of I've heard a lot of coaches say that that they want their players to put on more weight. And I think the message that a teenager in particular will hear is, I got to eat more and I got to put on a lot of calories. Now, unfortunately, I have heard some coaches that are way off base that say, I want you to eat three meals a day and then eat a Big Mac on top of that or two Big Macs on top of that. Not the way that you want to improve your athletic ability uh, or stay healthy for that matter. And, uh, you know, Heart, Heart Month reminds us of that, that some of the early damage that we can do to our blood vessels occurs extremely early, and a lot of that has to do in what we eat. Um, again, I've said this before on this program, if you go to, you know, if you go to athletic, true world-class athletic programs and look at what they, uh, what they preach on uh, nutrition and exercise, it's very balanced. Um, it's very healthy. They don't have a whole lot of fads. Um, there are some, you know, national uh, or, or world-class athletes that use supplements, but they tend to use some that are, that are very conservative. Um, but even the, the top-notch programs that train our military, particularly the Navy SEALs uh, and other special forces 
um, uh, training programs, they actually don't don't allow any supplements. Um, they have very balanced diets that they have. And I mean, if you just think about that, if you're training people who protect this country um, overseas, put their life in danger for extended periods of time on missions, uh, sometimes, you know, weeks to months, uh, and they're doing that. They're not, you know, doing a lot of, of crazy um, um, additives or, or crazy supplements. You know, there must be something to that. There's a lot of data behind that. So a, a healthy dialogue with your school, Kay, is probably the first place that I would start. The back problem, I would I would go to see, see a uh, sports medicine physician and see if they can check him out and maybe even get uh, him in the in the physical therapy realm to see what they can do. And then the second would be, you know, putting on weight. I would I, I always advise athletes, young athletes, look, um, if you're a lineman on that line, usually the person who's making the block or the tackle is the first person off the line. So speed is important. You don't want a whole lot of, uh, you know, weight that's mostly due to increased fat in the body. Uh, certainly uh, muscle is lean, weight is better, but really it's about uh, strength, speed, and agility. And most sports, particularly here in the South, rely on that uh, and proper technique. Um, there's a proper way to do things that requires less strength. Um, and again, getting a good sports medicine group to come into the school, they would love to do that. They're always, um, you know, looking to help out sports programs at, at our uh, local schools to help out with what they're doing and keep our athletes safe, do things the right way, uh, and to prevent those injuries. So that's that's what I man, two great questions really that sort of dovetail into what we're talking about this morning on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. If you'd like to call this morning, we're talking about heart health, but we certainly have room for any questions that you might have about the health of your family, you can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or email us at kids at mpbonline.org. We're going to take our first break. When we come back, what can we do to better our children's health, particularly as it relates to their heart and brain? This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're talking about heart health this month and cardiovascular disease. Don't want to leave out the brain because it's all sort of tied together in that pipeline of blood vessels going all over the place. It's important in the health of your children and you can't start too young. But first, let's uh, dive into the scope of the problem so that we know what we're talking about here. So why is it important to think about that? Why is heart health important? Why do we emphasize that so much? Well, about 17 million deaths a year are attributable to cardiovascular disease. That's 23 
uh, and a half million um, that's projected deaths a year for just from that by 2030. So certainly we're projected to have many more deaths. And the one thing to keep in mind is about a third of those are women. We don't think about women dying of cardiovascular disease, uh, but they do. And it's a big killer um, in um, comparison to a lot of other things. So what's the risk? What, what actually causes this risk of heart disease? Well, it's influenced by a number of things. Um, one of the big ones, and this is one that in Mississippi that we struggle with as a population, is hypertension. That happens to be one of my um, clinical um, interests for the last, oh, well, really since uh, I started my career. And, and pediatric hypertension is one of those. And about 5 to 8% of our pediatric population in the state um, has hypertension. And that's a lot. If you think about it, that's about the same number of kids that are affected by uh, a seizure disorder or uh, epilepsy. So it's a big number. So hypertension is, is something that certainly affects uh, our kids and adolescents. Uh, diabetes, particularly type 2 diabetes, this is the type of diabetes that um, you know you typically doesn't require insulin. Sometimes it does, uh, but it doesn't have much to do with the pancreas, which is the, the main organ that um, that makes insulin that helps us to regulate our blood sugar, but it's associated with increased weight gain in our diet. Sometimes a lot of family history plays into that too. And then finally, high cholesterol. Um, so all three of these you can find in, uh, in the pediatric population. And there's been some uh, historically, a couple of different studies looking at this. Uh, the first evidence that we really knew, okay, this is probably happening a lot earlier, were some studies out of the Korean War. So you saw uh, sometimes really young, um, you know, servicemen that went to um, to fight in the Korean War and unfortunately died in that conflict. And when they looked at the autopsy studies from them, they really were starting to look at blood vessels and looked at plaque. Plaque is like some. Uh, it's not the kind of tooth plaque, but it's basically some, I don't know a better word, gunky comes to mind. So it's this uh, this material that accumulates on the inside of that vessel wall, particularly an artery, that clogs it up over time. It's just like in your in your house. Uh, if your pipes can have this layer, if you've ever changed out your pipes or had to uh, you know, do some work underneath your sink, you know that when you take those pipes apart, sometimes there's a layer of material that sort of, uh, builds up over time on those pipes. Same kind of thing in the body. Uh, so with uh, over time, if there's a lot of risk factors for it, you can build that up. Most people jump to cholesterol thinking about, well, if my cholesterol is fine, that means that I'm not going to have that. And that's not always true. Uh, high blood pressure, again, and diabetes, both of those conditions uh, and high cholesterol can all contribute. And a lot of our, our adults um, and older population that do end up having a heart attack or a stroke, they may have had totally normal cholesterols. Um, so it's, it's something to keep in mind that it's multiple things that can cause that. So they did find these in Korean War veterans, and they started thinking, well, these are guys that are you know between 16, 17 years of age, the youngest, all the way up to their early 20s. If they were already having some evidence of this, how young was that building up? Uh, there were some subsequent studies, actually one in uh, southern Mississippi and Louisiana called the Bogalusa Heart Study, which did a similar, uh, had a similar method where they looked at uh, kids down as young as, you know, in the first decade of life, so anywhere from, from zero to 10 years of age, 
and they died of other causes. And when they looked at them over a really a 20 to 30 year period, they noticed that a good segment of those already, even at those younger ages, less than 10, had early evidence of those plaques on their blood vessels. And when they started looking at other factors, they, they came to understand that diet and exercise certainly did play a big part, as did blood pressure and blood sugar levels. And, we're, you know, we're just seeing a whole lot more hypertension, diabetes, uh, and high cholesterol in kids, particularly the hypertension and diabetes. And almost always it's associated uh, with increased weight. As you know, in Mississippi, uh, we, you know, frequently uh, vie for the number one position, number one not being good as the uh, most obese state, the uh, state with the most problems in obesity. And that's still been an issue for us. We've leveled out a little bit uh, with both our kids and adults, but it's still a huge issue uh, that we're dealing with. So those are some of the risk factors uh, for uh, heart disease and stroke uh, in our population. And we know that it begins early, even though you may not see it. Uh, Hypertension is often called the silent killer, uh, which means that you really don't feel a whole lot of it. There's people walking around with blood pressures frequently come in our office, you know, 200 over 100 and feel just fine. Uh, Other people do have symptoms, but it can be totally silent until something bad happens. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about heart health issues this morning and any other question that you might have about the health of your little one or big one. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to kids at mpbonline.org. So what about nutrition? How much does nutrition play into all of this? Um, we just talked about some of the what we call pathophysiology, which means normal physiology is just how things work in the body. So we look at how blood flows through those blood vessels, through those arteries, and then back through the veins after they uh, go to different tissues and then are pumped again by the heart. Uh, and then the patho is the abnormal workings of that. So how do we... What happens in the abnormal workings of a normal system over time? We do know that there are still uh, less populations in the world um, today than there used to be, but there's still some populations that have extremely low rates of cardiovascular disease. Um, uh, These are usually pockets that have uh, really no processed foods. They haven't been exposed to that in sort of a mod- what we would call a modern Western diet. Um, some of these are in the Middle East, um, particularly around the Mediterranean area, uh, but others were, are other places. One classic one is the uh, there's an Indian group in uh, in Mexico up in the mountains that had high rates of um, very low rates of of heart disease, but they had extremely high activity levels. Uh, in exercise, particularly running, and uh, were very active. There's other groups in South America that they've looked at. Um, But there's these small pockets of people that have been studied to see, okay, what kind of factors have protected them against heart attack and stroke? And I mentioned one of those in the Mediterranean, central China. There's one there, too. And uh, these uh, have certain characteristics that are common. One of them is, um, you know, this idea of food as really being the best medicine. And that's um, there's there's some interest in that, I would think, in in uh, the United States. I've, I've talked to a lot of people who have gotten on the bandwagon about that. I'm certainly on the bandwagon for uh, eating better as a medicine. And that's really 
how we should approach that today um, with our patients and as a population is if you want to avoid classic medications or at least try to cut down on how much you need, uh, you need to eat right. So all of these populations, they had a couple of different characteristics. And out of that came a recommendation to decrease cardiovascular disease. And one of those was the DASH diet. Now, this isn't Mrs. DASH, um, but this is uh, that stood for the Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension, and hypertension being one of those main risk factors. So this is a diet that came out of a, um, a Mediterranean diet, the Cretan diet from the island of Crete. Um, that had very low saturated fat, lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, um, not a whole lot of meat, but the meat that they uh, consumed uh, typically were lean meats, uh, seafood, uh, chicken. Usually with my patients, I'll I'll try to make it simple and say, if you're going to eat meat, only eat something that swims or flies. Uh, I got that from a physician in the Delta, said that to his patients years ago. And then, you know, not a lot of frying of that, which goes against a lot of Southern culture. I know I'm stepping on a lot of toes here today. Uh, But grilled or baked is better for those meats. Uh, Again, not a lot of processed foods, fast foods. And there are a lot of nutrients that are very rich in these food groups, too, um, that are high in potassium, low in sodium. That's the main com- one of the main components of salt. So these trials went on, and they were able to show not only a decreased risk of cardiovascular disease, but also direct impacts, uh, favorable impacts on high blood pressure uh, being the, the biggest one. And in the DASH trial, the original one, blood pressure went down 8 to 14 points in adults, There was also one in teenagers that showed that. So that's a good way to decrease your risk over time. And, you know, you can't, just like everything else that's related to diet and exercise, you can't just eat one meal here and then the other two meals a day or, you know, from McDonald's or Wendy's or whatever your favorite fast food is, pizza. Um, You have to be consistent about that. It's not that, you know, I'm... My personal take on this is not to ever tell a child or a family, don't ever eat chips again, don't ever eat pizza. Usually I'll ask them, what what are your favorite foods? And if they say, for instance, pizza, I'll say, okay, well, I really would like you as a family to try and change what you're doing uh, on the selection of foods and how you eat foods. But I think it's fine every once in a while. If you want to have a couple of slices of pizza, that's fine. You just don't need to eat the whole pizza, and you don't need to do it every day. So I try to take a sort of a moderation approach to that, and uh, particularly with adolescents, because once you tell them, don't ever do this, guess what they're going to do? Don't ever speed in a car. Well, they're going to start thinking about that as soon as they leave and, and try to do that. So what are we what are we talking about in relation to a healthy diet? Um, you know, there's been large studies of how diets work, and there's the macronutrient uh, components of diet, which are the three main classes of it: are carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. Uh, and certainly, there's been a lot of studies about uh, the different. Uh, makeup of diets that you want more carbohydrates or less carbohydrates. Um, it's not that any one of those three things is is totally bad. Your body has to have all three, uh, but you want to have those in the correct proportion. And what we know is calories have a lot to do with it. So regardless if you get your um, you know your your total calories from 
um, fats, carbohydrates, protein. And in the, at the end of the day, really, it's the total number of calories. And a lot of these diets work. The problem with fad diets that, say, have very little carbohydrates or uh, tons of protein in them or uh, more fat and protein than carbohydrates is that most of them are very hard to stick with. And we know that you can lose weight with a lot of them, but it doesn't necessarily pan out in decreasing your risk of cardiovascular disease. So to date, most of the studies would say lots of fruits and vegetables have a lot of color on the plate as it relates to fruits and vegetables. Can't eat too many of those, particularly if they're if they're fresh, uh, raw is good, uh, much better than cooked most of the time. And then if you eat meat, eat something that swims or flies, baked, grilled, is much better than fried. And if you're going to get fats, the best way to get fats is the natural way, and that's in nuts or some of the plant oils, particularly olive oil. Be careful of coconut oil. People have gone on the bandwagon for that, but it's actually not that good for you. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about heart health today because February is Heart Health Month. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got any questions about the health of your children or family, you can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or email us at kids at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're talking about heart health this morning. Lots of different things that you can do to reduce the risk I like that. I might use Redisc. Reduce the risk of heart disease in your children, your family. Certainly does help if you do this as a family. What one of the most unfair things if you have one child that's having some health issues and uh, everybody has to, you know, if everybody's doing their own thing, they're going out to eat and all these fast food places and uh, little Johnny, just because his either his cholesterol is high or his, his blood pressure is high, that he has to do something different. Just doesn't work out that way. It's much better if you have the people around you doing that. Um, we were talking about nutrition before the break and just some different things, and certainly a colorful plate that's full of fruits and vegetables is is a good choice. There's lots of things that are out there, lots of websites, particularly from a, a health issue uh, reducing that risk. Choosemyplate.gov is one. There's others. Healthy Plate is one. Uh, there's lots of tools. Uh, apps um, are helpful sometimes. There's actually a study of that they didn't do too much, particularly from the fitness standpoint, uh, long term. But uh, certainly one good thing that they can do is if you take the time to put the amounts of foods and the types of foods in, most people overestimate the amount of calories that they're eating and have absolutely no idea. 
Um, and a lot of it comes from sort of these empty calorie sources like soft drinks. That's one of them. Um, you have a lot of calories, not a whole lot of nutrition with it. Uh, but you certainly can pack on the pounds from doing that. Sweet tea, your favorite in the South. Uh, we put uh, way too much from a health standpoint, at least way too much sugar in there. Um, so even doing some small things to cut back on that. Um, access to food is another one. When you eat your food, I always ask families when they come to see me if, you know, about nutrition. Hey, when do you eat? How many meals do you eat? Do you sit down together? You're more likely to eat more food. If uh, if the child is in, in charge of piling things on the plate, if you eat in front of a TV, if you don't sit down and eat together, all those things can contribute to eating a whole lot more. So the behavior of how you eat is equally as important as what you eat. We got a question uh, from a listener that said, should you give your child, your teenage child, a multivitamin? And if so, what's the best? So it certainly that's a good idea. It's it, there are some micronutrients that are in vitamins uh, that are uh, are good for just overall health. There may be some situations uh, though that your teen may need some more, particularly adolescent females sometimes can be anemic, and that's uh, blood loss through normal menstruating. If particularly if they have heavy heavy longer periods. Uh, and they may have that diagnosis, and that's going to be a little bit different. Most of the iron that are in a uh, that's in a multivitamin is not quite enough if you're anemic to replenish those iron stores in your body so that they can make red blood cells. A lot of people will say, "Well, just eat more red meat." Uh, that may or may not be a good thing to do, you know, if you want to keep it all natural. But most of the time, just an, a, an, a simple iron supplement will do for that. But it's certainly not going not gonna to harm them to take a multivitamin. There's lots of them out there. They all work equally as well. It's interesting. Uh, I mentioned the DASH diet or a Mediterranean diet beforehand. A lot of people have tried to tease out different aspects of that. In other words, they tried to give more uh, potassium as a supplement rather than it being in the food. When you take those nutrients out of the food source, if you instead of eating broccoli or cauliflower or whatever, um, when you take uh, those those nutrients out and give them as a supplement, you really don't see the same beneficial effects. Uh, folate's probably one that's that you, you do particularly for pregnant women for neural tube defects, but um, other than that, there's not a whole lot of data that would support that supplements um, can improve health outcomes. Again, there's something about it being in that natural food that uh, does the trick. That's sort of the way we were designed uh, to to get all those nutrients in foods. But if your child, for whatever reason, is not eating a healthy diet, it's not going to harm them just having a multivitamin once a day. Um, that's that's not a big deal. So good question. Thank you for sending that to us. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about heart health today. We've been talking about nutrition. We're going to shift gears into physical fitness and physical activity. But you can reach us with your questions if it's about heart health or any other issue by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at kids at mpbonline.org. So what about physical activity? That's maybe one of the more uh, the bigger challenges, particularly for the teen years. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions about this and how much you need. Uh, from a weight loss standpoint, we know that nutrition is a whole lot more impactful on uh, on losing weight or maintaining a healthy weight than physical activity. But from a cardiovascular fitness standpoint, physical activity is certainly uh, something that's that's important. 
So what do we mean by physical activity? Well, I usually think of it in two big categories. There's aerobic and non-aerobic. Non-aerobic would be those things that we talked about, like weightlifting. Although if you do a lot of things, a lot of weight um, circuit training type um, training, you can certainly get an aerobic effect. Aerobic effects just means that we're getting the blood flow uh, to the heart and to the rest of the body. It's being pumped rapidly through that. They tend to be activities that you do for a longer period of time, uh, and they do have the most benefit on the heart. The non-aerobic ones are the ones that build maybe muscle mass. They are important for health generally, but they still, you know, they still you need a combination of, of both of those things. Um, starting and stopping, a lot of people will say, well, I don't go to the gym. I don't really have time. Really, it doesn't matter too much. If you're active all during the day, um, you know, at school, at work, those things can add up over time and contribute to reducing your risk of heart disease. So even if it's parking a little bit further out when you go to the store and walking in, uh, walking briskly when you do walk, all those things can uh, can help out uh, with your, your cardiovascular health. So all those things are important to uh, to keep in mind for starting and stopping. And, you know, I tell people, you don't have to get fancy. You don't have to join a team at school. That's one way to do it, uh, particularly, you know, if you're participating in a lot of different sports. That's great, particularly if you have a younger kid. But there's an aspect with younger kids of, of, of team play and organized play. And, uh, you know, uh, organized uh, play or team play or just going out there and just letting them go. I mean, those are that's great physical activity, um, things that they can participate in. Let's go to Mikey in Mobile. Good morning, Mikey. Good morning, Mikey. Promise, okay. Sure. Um, uh, but uh, it seems to me that a lot of things that you say – and particularly Felder Rushing says, and some of the things that um, uh, uh, Deep South Dining says, um, are uh, how to, to coordinate those. Gardening itself, um, I don't know if you do it or not, but it's like you got the weightlifting. Right. <laughs> you got the, you know, um, uh, movement. You got the get off your whatever. You got, you know, um, and, and you, have, you, have, you learn patience. Um, and you learn to eat right. So it's, uh, I would love to see, I would re- I'm requesting respectfully uh, a coordination between you and those, uh, especially Felder. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Mikey. There's a, certainly an overlap with that. You know, one of the reasons why we have more cardiovascular disease, or at least the research would point to this a little bit, is because we don't move around as much as we are. We're not an agrarian society, meaning we don't you know, spend a lot of time outside uh, with physical activity. Uh, a lot of things are more convenient. I actually do garden myself. I enjoy it. Um, you're right. I mean, you can get a lot of aerobic and non-aerobic activity from doing that. Uh, even throw in a little beekeeping and you've got some more activities there and certainly would help out. And you get to reap the benefits of what you do uh, with that activity and what you eat. And it doesn't take a whole lot, even in, uh, you know, there's places uh, that we've done this in, in downtown Jackson uh, where you have, you, you can put in for a family of four, you know, about 400 square feet in the, in the yard that gets enough sun, you can grow and supplement that nutrition. It may not take the place of all of it, but it's a fun activity that they can do right there with a little uh, garden by the house. 
uh, that they can grow some fresh vegetables. And it's a lot of fun. Kids usually like to do that. So you're right. There is maybe we have we might have a, a future show where we're all three of us get together and uh, and do that. But you're right. There is a lot of overlap in in doing those things. You just got to get out and do it. That's the biggest thing. And do something that's fun. Uh, and and exposing kids to that is really uh, really important. It's it's interesting. They've looked at this in school systems all around the world. Uh, Great Britain's done this. We've done this in the United States. When you get a school, when you get kids in school involved in things like growing their own vegetables, they're more likely to eat them if they do it right there on site. They're proud of what they do. They put the work into it, uh, and then they you know get to see that uh, as it relates to how you cook it, and they can learn a lot of things from that. So certainly an integrated approach would be would be the best one. So thanks, Mikey. That's a great suggestion. Certainly there is an overlap with all of that, and that's the best way to do it is just to put it all together in an activity. Let's go to Stacy in Brookhaven. Good morning, Stacy. Hey, good morning. Um, I heard you talking about diet and risk factors and um, a little bit about children and exercise, and uh, we – obviously have kind of missed the window of those younger years. I have three children. Two of them eat pretty well for the most part. But my my one has, from the time he was younger, eaten less and less and less of the things we would cook and, and provide for him. And to the point that everything has to be just dry or, I mean, he eats like four things. And now he's about to be 17. We've talked to the pediatrician about it when he was younger we limited milk intake and different things thinking maybe he was filling up and just not hungry um but he does not eat well and now that he drives you know he's you know getting into just pulling in somewhere and eating whatever he wants and it's really upsetting but i don't know is there some sort of counselor or that you know, do you know anybody out there that can kind of help with this? I mean, we've talked to him; he's intelligent and, and understands what he's doing. But we are at the point now that I think there's no turning back. But I've, I've often wondered: was there someone out there who addressed these types of things with children? Yeah, it's a, that's a difficult age. Older adolescents, you know, it's hard at that point. I wouldn't say the you know, the horse is out of the barn completely, but uh, they're there. And once yeah. they get a lot of autonomy where they can where they can drive, where they have some money, they can eat what they want, uh, it is difficult. I have, you know, talked to adults and, and families that they had to go, you know, through a period, a personal period of maybe five, ten years um, where, you know, they just pretty much did everything they, they wanted to do, and then they sort of came back around. I The, the biggest challenge is connecting changes in behavior back to things that matter to that individual person. So 17-year-old, certainly there's a lot more, you know, cognitive development, personality development, emotional development, particularly with a boy up through about age 26, 27. Uh, We know that the brain is still developing. Um, So a lot of that's still going on. But how do you connect those changes that somebody needs to make back to a motivator that really matters for them? And, you know, sometimes that's a girlfriend or, you know, a future spouse or your spouse. Sometimes it's your kids. It's all kinds of different things for different people. And, you know, those are the things that I would start off with. Too many times we as physicians will say, 
you need to change what you're doing. You're going to die if you don't change what you eat and start exercising. And then we just leave it at that. Well, I'm not so sure that's taken the right way. You know, if somebody tells me that, I'm going to be shocked. And some people might be motivated to do that. The majority of people get a little bit turned off from that. And I think maybe a first, you know, telling about risk, even though 17-year-old, probably not, you know, risk is pretty low on their priority list. They do a lot of risky things. Um, But trying to put more autonomy, personal choice into it by asking them, tell me something that you're, um, what, what what means a lot to you? What are some of your things that are important in your life? And then if you can tie that back to continuing to do those things through proper, you know, uh, uh, nutrition and exercise, that's that's at least a little step in the right direction. Now, there are people, you mentioned, you know, is there anybody out there that can talk to kids? Certainly. Uh, we have uh, nutritionists. Uh, actually, UMC has an obesity clinic. This is one of the things that they do is they have nutritionists that's trained uh, to talk to, uh, to kids and teens about that and to get them involved and give them some. The other thing is we tell people what to do. We don't tell them how to do it. And we really should empower patients to take responsibility. And one of the things for a 17-year-olds that I do, particularly if they come in the the office with their parents, is say, you know, mom and dad are not really, I mean, they're still in control, but they're not in total control. And, you know, it really doesn't matter what I say to the patient. It doesn't matter what mom or dad says. Really, at this point, it matters what you do as a patient. And sometimes adolescents will resound with that. They'll hear that as, huh, I'm actually more important than I thought I was, and I'm, I am in charge. And then you can build on that by saying, let's, let's come up with maybe a couple of things to change. What things do you think you could make work on your schedule uh, with what you like to eat? And maybe it's just a step with what's one new food you can try that would be healthy for you. You know, can you do that, you know, once a week and then sort of build off of that? But it's not it's not productive to argue with a 17 year old to say you're going to die because, again, they don't care about dying. Really, they don't think that they're going to die. That's not on their agenda list uh, for most of them They're They've got other things in mind about being, you know, integrated into their uh, groups that mean the most to them, their their peers. The other thing is. You know, to talk about what are their friends that they're hanging out with, what's important to them. Okay. So it's you, you sound so very realistic about it. I pray, you know, you, and you gave me a little bit of hope that perhaps after those twenty six years, they'll, you know, their brain will have developed enough to start realizing, hey, yeah, this is this is important. Um, I'm convinced so. that my sister, who's 10 years younger than me, and she would probably corroborate this, she, I, I don't know that she really ate much of a bat. Despite my mom uh, fixing a balanced diet, you know, uh, I, my sister was so picky about all she would eat as cereal all the time. And, uh, you know, I would never have thought that she would be at the place she is today with, I mean, she eats great, she exercises um, you know, it, so it can change. I mean, there's, there's, and who knows, there's lots of motivators for individuals having discussions, not lectures, but discussions with any patient of any age is the best thing that you can do. Even for adults, uh, you, you know, just telling an adult, Hey, you got to do this, asking them, and this is just behavioral, 
motivation discussions that you can have with people and, and interviewing techniques is, and it's not really that's not really taught a whole lot in medical school. So not every physician is going to have these skills just to say, "Hey, tell me about what's important to you." How can we keep you involved in those things that's important to you? And let me give you a couple of ways to do that. And then you choose maybe which one of these you want to do. That's a much more realistic way of approaching, you know, an older adolescent that's having having difficulty with that. So hang in there, Stacy. And uh, get Thank you. Those are great tips. Sure. I appreciate that. Sure. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about uh, heart health this morning. Got a couple of more minutes in the program. So if you want to uh, uh, squeeze in a call, you certainly can do that by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring Or if you want some more time to think about it, talk about it, uh, and phrase that question, uh, send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. So a couple of other things, you know, the silent factors. How do you catch these things early if you don't really know what's happening uh, the best way is to see a physician. So just because you're not sick doesn't need, mean that you don't see a doctor. They can identify some of these risk factors, take a proper blood pressure. There's certainly blood pressure devices all over the place. Uh, some of them are good, but it always, you have to use the right technique, uh, the right equipment, and the equipment has to be in good working order. So uh, just shoving your arm in a blood pressure machine at Kroger may be a good idea, but maybe not. Uh, so seeing somebody that can do it correctly is is a big thing. And there's other risk factors out there that they can uh, they can address. Uh, again, obesity is probably the biggest one. Uh, just knowing about that and knowing what the risk is 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 important uh, to the health of your child. Um, if your child does have some cardiovascular risk factors. Uh, you know, will, are they going to need medication? Certainly, it depends on each one. It depends on their total risk, and family history is a, a big one, too. We're going to try to squeeze in one more question. we got a little, about 45 seconds. Uh, Becky and Jackson, thanks for calling. Uh, yes, I have a, a question. Um, what are some suggestions to do with a 11-year-old boy? He just turned 11, and he's kind of heavy, but he doesn't like to um, exercise and it's really, really hard to get him to exercise. And he does, but he wants to eat all the time. He like thinks he's hungry when he's not. You know what I'm saying? He yeah. he's like, I'm hungry, and he's not. I know he's not actually hungry. Yeah, Becky, we're up against the clock, so I'm gonna try to answer those questions right quick. Make it important to him. Ask what are things are important to him, and if he likes video games, find him some that makes him move around. Maybe even buy him a little bit of equipment where he moves around in the room uh, to do that. Uh, involve him in the food choice. Uh, take him to the grocery store and say, all right, let's look around, let's pick out some healthy things, and let's choose those things. And then trying to, you know, really look at when y'all eat together. When, when does he eat? Does he get free reign of everything? Your job as a parent is to put those healthy choices in front of him. His job is to tell you when he's full. So those are just some starting points. Much more complicated than that, uh, but uh, those are at least some starting points. Thank everybody for calling today on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We always love to uh, try to answer your questions as best we can. Um, this is uh, Jimmy, Dr. Jimmy Stewart, and you can tune in each week at 11 to hear from us and answer your questions right here on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.